Right, this is brand new. This is Sport and the Fields in association with Aldi UK, the official supermarket partner of Team GB. It's a new podcast featuring big name broadcasters and we want to tell you a few stories, let you in on a few secrets. Series 1 concentrates on the Olympic Games, 16 episodes, one for each full day of competition at what would have been Tokyo 2020. I'm Jonathan Overend, bringing together, bringing back together some of the most familiar voices in sports broadcasting to really share our front row experiences at some of the biggest sporting events and historic moments. Because we've been so lucky over the years to watch so much at close quarters, you really pick up a lot and then get the chance, of course, to meet and talk to amazing people, including ultimate superstars. Because here's the thing, so much of sport these days is about stats and data, clicks and hits, and that's absolutely fine. It's an important and significant part of our industry. But is that what sport's really about? I mean, come on, sport's better than that, isn't it? It's certainly deeper than that. Sport's about passion and emotion and what it does to our soul. Sport's about people and connections and shared experiences. And that's what we're all about. So make sure you subscribe now. Check us out on social media at feels underscore sport. The website's sportandthefeels.com and enjoy the series. Right, my co-host for the first episode of the series is someone who used to pay me £10 a week to uh, come in and work every Saturday, not just because, well, not at all, because he believed in slave labour. That's just the way it was at the BBC in the early 90s. It's Mark Pugach. How are you? Um, five, did I pay you that much, did I? Ten, ten quid? Ten yeah. quid. Wow, well, we were generous in Chelmsford in 1993. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but look, I mean, it was golden ticket stuff. You just, you just wanted to do it. You wanted to be part of it in those days. But yeah, that was, that was the early 90s, wasn't it? BBC Essex, lovely building on the corner of New London Road, just up from the, uh, the county ground. I wasn't quite where it all began for you, was it? But it was certainly the start of your BBC journey. Yes, I mean, I'd worked a little bit before in London freelancing, but it was it was the sort of solid start, as it were. And I first went there, actually, um, to replace temporarily a man called Andy Kay, who you and I know very well, who was going to the Olympics in, in Barcelona. So I went to, to replace him, first of all. So um, that, that first summer I worked in, uh, you know, in sort of local radio was the Barcelona Olympics. And of course, we were very excited because there's always an opportunity and it's always good fun, actually, to try and make a national story a local story. Um, and in Essex, it was tremendous fun because we used to say things like you and I, didn't we? Stondon Massey's Frank Bruno tonight fights for the world title. It was it was always a bit of a competition and a game. But we, we had Sally Gunnell, of course, who genuinely was an Essex... Well, the, the athletics team was called the Essex Ladies, Essex wasn't ladies, it? Yeah. So she, she was competing and, of course, won the gold in the 400 hurdles. So that was, uh, that was tremendously exciting. And was there a guy called Rob Denmark didn't he used to run the Rob 5,000 5,000 5, yes. metres yeah, right. runner and the, the thing Boston. about Stondon Massey's Frank Bruno yeah. was he lived opposite Stondon Massey's Steve yeah, Davis absolutely <laughs> they brilliant. literally lived opposite <laughs> each other so, so we were right and don't forget Bob Nudd Bob Nudd, who 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 arguably should have won the, the uh, Sports Personality of the Year most years, shouldn't he? For, there was for there was an orchestrated yeah. attempt to try to get him to win. He, oh, yeah. if, you, if you're not familiar, he he was a champion angler back in the day. He actually came in the studio one day with a with a, a record that he recorded. It was called Maggots in Your Catapult, if you can believe that. But yeah, he, he was. He, it's true. It's true. He actually. This is- he actually performed it. 
this is why this is why local radio and local telly and local newspapers and and regional you know media is so important because it's tremendous fun and mm. a lot of the people that you listen to and watch and read all started there and you learn so much it's at, and all the people you're going to have on your series would have all worked there as well it was unbelievably good fun wasn't it it was tremendously good fun sure was <laughs> so you kind of joined local radio because someone was going to the olympics yes. and then you went to the olympics for the first time when in terms of summer games yeah i went to a winter games in 98 but my first summer games was was sydney 2000 and i'd lived in sydney i lived in australia for about nine months as a teenager traveling so i was desperate to get picked for that one and that was that was off the scale exciting mm. when the when the message comes yep you're going oh yeah and it's the and, one we all wanted to go oh, to oh it's the one we all and wanted to go to some of you were lucky enough to go to oh it. <laughs> sorry sorry over it and um, what the, the, my first memory was obviously a very very long journey and it's always good fun journalists on a plane so that that goes very smoothly and then the pilot saying look out of your window right hand side and you'll see something and we all looked out the window and there were the Olympic rings on Sydney Harbour Bridge oh. and I remember thinking that is incredible incredible I've made that it. Uh, I, I i just remember thinking this is why i've decided to do this job yeah. it, it was one of those whatever anybody thinks of the way i'm doing it that's up to them i can't i all i can do is the best that i can do and as if you as it were justify to myself why i've made this career choice and it was it was and, and i still had lots of friends because i'd lived there not that i'd lived there about 10 years earlier so i still had lots of friends in sydney so it was tremendous three weeks of to be blunt working hard and playing hard i mean it really luckily I was young enough I could still do burn the candle at both ends properly it was brilliant fun and I know you've got Kath Mary coming up in the next episode and I managed on the night that the 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 Sydney equivalent of our Super Saturday was the night that Kathy Freeman won gold and there was no chance of getting a ticket but I'd said to a chap called Jonathan Wall who happened to go on to be the five live controller who was then just a humble producer let's just go down you never know we've all bought tickets from touts before and we saw this little queue and we queued up and I went to the booth and I said to the lady I know this is ridiculous but we haven't got any tickets for tonight and she said she said something like we've got eight I said well I'll have two please and we saw I think Jonathan Edwards won his he did, I think Jonathan yeah, Edwards he did. won that night it was an incredible and Kathy, night and Kathy Freeman won and of course it was off the scale exciting to be at an Olympic Games which is and I'm very lucky I've been to five six football World Cups however many the Olympics is still the greatest show on earth. It yeah. really is the greatest show on earth. Well, I suppose the next two games, Athens 2004, oh. Beijing 2008, you would have been basically front, fronting it for, for, for BBC Radio. Yeah, right? I was, I was John and, uh, myself and John Inverdale, so we did different parts of the day. So I would do, I would do, John would do the athletics in the evening and I would do whatever there was. You know, Britain was just getting into its stride with cycling, wasn't it? But, yes. but for me, the joy of always the Olympics was, you know, we'd have the morning meeting and they'd go, right, there's an outside chance of, uh, of a medal in, you know, in volleyball or whatever. You know, off you go. And that was great fun because what I love about the, and what I, why I knew 2012 would be a success is what I loved about the British fans in every sport is how many there are there. You know, I watched England play Argentina in Sapporo, the David Beckham penalty. I mean, it's miles from home. There were thousands of England fans there. So my point being, we, we as a sporting nation, 
we absorb so much, particularly when it comes to the Olympics, every sport, don't we? We make mm-hmm. ourselves, I'm talking about the punters here, experts in every sport, that I knew that people people are always interested in it. So you, you didn't feel like, oh, I'm going off to something no one's interested in. We knew everybody back home would be completely involved in it. So that was, that was great fun to go and do whatever it was, volleyball or dressage or whatever it was. Uh, it, that, for me, and it remains the joy of the Olympics, that suddenly people get completely obsessed with something they don't think about for the rest of the four-year cycle and also it tests you as a broadcaster doesn't it because i've always been of the opinion you know we could we could have the rights to the world tiddlywinks championships and if you send the best broadcasters to it you can make it sound exciting and really that's our opportunity at the olympic games isn't it to go to dressage to go to taekwondo to go to uh volleyball or or whatever it might be handball even i have fantastic memories of going to the handball in athens in 2004 and they said we're going to join you for the last five minutes this was in (laughs) in uh, oh no it would have been beijing because it would have been during up all night there's no way they'd have gone to the last five minutes of handball during daytime Uh, but but during up all night we're going to come for the last five minutes and I remember being almost more excited for that little stint of commentary on something that no one knew anything about than almost anything else I've done in my career because it challenges us doesn't it it challenges us just from as a broadcaster and a journalist from a standing start by to educate yourself means you can educate the public and you have to Mm. boil it down so it's simple for yourself to understand I love that about the British people I'm not saying other nations don't throw themselves into it in the way that we do but we all do whether you're a punter a viewer a worker like we are lucky enough to be everybody chucks themselves into it and makes themselves an expert and it's like everything the more you put in the more you get out which as you mentioned earlier leads us neatly to, to 2012 because you're right I think we knew it would be a success because of exactly what you've just talked about, of our thirst for sport, our desire to sort of taste something new. And and we all applied for the ballot, didn't we, as, yes. as families or as individuals? And frankly, we didn't care what we got. We just wanted to be part of it. And what an amazing event it turned into. Uh, so I've got three kids who are then sort of uh, mid-teens, early teens. And I said, right, I'm going to apply for whatever. And whatever we get, you go, because obviously I'll be at work. So the four yeah. of you go. And they went to they went to a day's cross country, which, you know, one my middle one loves horses. But the other two went quite happily. They went to some kayaking. They went to the stadium twice. I think they saw the first day of Jess, Jess uh, Ennis Hill's gold. And they went to some volleyball in Earl's Court. They loved wow. it. They absolutely loved it. I just said, whatever yeah. we get, whatever we get, go. Exactly. What, and whatever you can't get, watch together. And we got, we got some synchronised swimming. Oh, <laughs> which, yeah. yeah. Which, you know, was on the park. And we got to climb up the back of that extraordinary stand. Do you remember that oh, temporary yeah, yeah, stand yes. they built at the yeah. Aquatic Centre that just went on for miles? I mean, it went all, all halfway back to Stratford Tube Station. And we were right at the top of that in the cheap seats. But we, we had a, a bird's eye view of the synchronised swimmers doing their thing. And it was a great day. And that was, that was my one day off during the game because it was after the tennis and before the, the taekwondo and, and we we absolutely loved it but you know the thing about 2012 and what we'll touch on it i'm sure in every episode pretty much throughout this series because it was such an amazing event is it it, it, it made stars didn't it it made household names not just out of athletes but out of out of some broadcasters as well oh absolutely and we're gonna we're gonna talk to one of them in this episode aren't we claire balding i mean claire was extremely well known anyway but it definitely elevated her to a to a new level and the way that she dealt with everybody around the swimming and of course one particular father who will he'll who will we'll talk about there 
let's bring her in then because we've we've both known her for many years haven't we and uh, you know she's an absolute joy to to spend some time in the company of and during 2012 she absolutely became one of the faces of the london olympic games claire balding Hello, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Um, enjoying watching reruns of historic <laughs> matches yes. in whichever sport it is, um, which feels quite educational. There's been a lot of reminiscing, hasn't yes, there, over the yes. last few months? I t- I'm looking forward to watching the opening ceremony, though, from London 2012, because I didn't actually see it all at the time. So I'm really, really looking forward to that and quite a lot of the games that I didn't see. <laughs> and how, how has lockdown been generally in uh, Shea Balding? Uh, well, we've got a new litter of kittens, so that has been oh. occupying quite a lot of attention here. I've, I've literally, I've just left them um, with their mother, and um, they're adorable. So um, that is, is keeping me very happy. Five, oh. yes. And I've been writing, actually writing a book on heroic animals that will be out this Christmas, so that's been quite fun, which includes a few racehorses, and, and I was just writing about Mick the Miller, the great greyhound. Um, I was writing about that this morning, so there's a few sort of sporting inclusions in there as well. We were talking, Mark, weren't we, that, that we want to talk to Claire, obviously about 2012, but starting really with the opening ceremony, because it, it was so extraordinary. What I remember four years earlier was being at a bar in Beijing and watching the opening ceremony there, and it was very beautiful, and... The Westerners grumbled afterwards. Well, we didn't really understand that. What was all that about? I remember saying, well, we're in China and it's a very much Chinese opening ceremony, which is completely fair enough. And in four years' time, I would suspect that our opening ceremony would be very British because they're hosting the Games. It's completely fair that they they skew it towards their own audience. People were being really sniffy and a bit Western. I don't understand what that was all about. It was absolutely beautiful. So I remember thinking... um, when, and I, I think, Claire, I know you'd seen bits of the rehearsal. I think I was offered a chance to go and see it. And I went, no, I don't want to, because when I report on it and go, I went with John Murray. I want to see it with fresh eyes. I want to see it like everyone else is seeing it for the first time. And what I would say is if we played um, Desert Island Olympics and you said to me, you're only allowed to take one thing away from London 2012, <laughs> it would be a photo finish between the opening ceremony and Super yeah. Saturday. And it may even be that I take the opening ceremony. I thought it was that magnificent and original and funny and British and everything that we stood for and it was full of hope and pride and without getting too political a lot of the things that eight years on we rather wish we still had. I think also it was a complete mood changer. If you remember in the build-up to London 2012 we had the security um, debacle where the army were brought in to help support um, G4S. G4S? Was that what they were called? Yes, well I think yeah, it normally is. Yes, or G4. No, G4's a band isn't it? um, They used to be called Group 4, didn't they? That's it, that's it, exactly. I was thinking, hang on, which one's the band and which one, you know, like that choral band, Um, which one's the security company? (laughs) So that happened. Um, There were concerns about um, security all the way through. The weather, it had rained, I think, 20 out of 21 days. The Hammersmith flyover had got closed because of a structural weakness. So that was your main route in from Heathrow Airport. Um, There was general dissatisfaction, real negativity, particularly in the written press. And I think the day I was in there for the warm-up, the they had a the football had started and didn't they have a big disaster because a North Korean flag was shown instead of a South Korean flag one or two yes other. yeah and yeah, so yeah. there was a big political you know crisis and then the opening ceremony started and when it was the moment when the the industrial revolution the green and present pleasant land that beginning and Kenneth Branner on the hill yes. when that transformed into the industrial revolution and I just remember going oh my word this is brilliant. 
And then the Queen jumped out of a helicopter. You know, when when yeah. the, when they did <laughs> when they did that bit with Daniel Craig, in, and yeah. and I was saying, okay, here, we're going to get Helen Mirren. This is what's going to happen here. It's very clever. It's going to be Helen Mirren. Turn, it's the actual Queen. And then yeah. obviously the dummy jumps out of the helicopter. I, was I, I, so I think you're absolutely right about the Industrial Revolution um, section. It was it was about twenty minutes, wasn't it? And it was it was scored by Underworld. And when you were in the stadium, if you knew nothing about what was to come, it just took you completely by surprise. Because as you say, Claire, there was the the whole image of the green and pleasant land. That was going mm. on, wasn't it, as spectators yes. entered the stadium? It was like one of those um, left-field theatre productions, which is already underway when the audience walks through the door for the first time. And personally, I love that sort of stuff. So that was going on, and there were little village green cricket matches going on all over the place. And then over the course of 20 minutes, this extraordinary transformation took place, and the chimneys went up, and Kenneth Branagh was admired. It. And it was almost that 20 minutes, I felt, which told us everything was going to be OK yeah. and that this was going to be great. And then we had Rowan Atkinson, which was genuinely hilarious, wasn't it? it genuinely was really hilarious. Good. And then we had the bit which was almost the next day, my favourite bit, with Tim it was Tim Berners-Lee came on, didn't he? Yeah, he did. And, of course, all the Americans went, who is this bloke? We've Googled him. Who the hell is he? Which, of course, they the They put irony subtitles just, up. They had to just, put, they had yes. to put yes. a caption up for him. The, because every, every Olympics follows the same pattern, pretty much. It, what I mean is the previous seven years is you win it, everyone's incredibly excited. Then about a year later, everyone goes, how much? You must be joking. I'm not having my tax is paying that then the rest of the country go well it's London or Sydney Beijing nothing to do with us it's a load of absolute rubbish why are we doing that it, they all go through the same pattern then you get near the start and you get a bit of excitement but as Claire said the backdrop was still fairly fraught so you need something to kick it all off and I think that was the night wasn't it Claire mm. we thought this is going to be I was very confident I told everybody who listened that we would run a brilliant Olympics yeah. because as I said to Jonathan in the introduction like you having been around the world and watched how many British fans there are for all sorts of sports I knew we'd sell everything out and I knew it would go well. But I think that was the night that the nation thought, oh, yeah, we'll do this. This will be great. And as importantly, we'll do it in our own way. Yeah. We will do it in Brilliant. the British it was way. So, I, I feel terribly nostalgic about it because mm. it seemed so mm. positive to all have this shared experience. And I think maybe that's... I've just been doing a documentary for BBC World Service about why sport matters. And, and we've spoken to a neurologist, we've spoken to a philosopher, we've spoken to all sorts of people. But essentially, it boils down to that, that we as human beings need the shared experience and we need the unpredictability of sport. It really works for our brains. And that, to me, that summer was the absolute zenith of the shared experience. Everyone was talking about it. Everybody was smiling about it. You know, coming in on the train or the tube, people were actually talking to each other. Doesn't happen often in London. <laughs> and and it yeah. seems so far away now. And I think that's why I feel, you know, quite, yeah, nostalgic about it because it just seems so far removed. Well, I think we feel rather mm. wistful for it now, don't we? Because, you know, because of what's happened in the last 18 months with Brexit, which, let's not pretend otherwise, has driven massive wedges, uh, divisions in our society. And then, of course, the last four months with, with COVID and with lockdown. So I think that time when everything was positive and we were proud of everything, you know, and, and Danny Boyle, you know, got it mm. so right, didn't we? The Industrial Revolution and so forth. And the NHS workers, which, of course, looking at it now through the prism of what we've been through is is so appropriate. It was, as I say, I, I would almost take it ahead of Super Saturday. I don't know whether I would. You'd have to put me on the rack to decide. But it was it was so magical. And I rather and I rather hope, as, as Westerners grumbled about the Chinese opening ceremony, that people in the East went, what was all that about? What was all that about? <laughs> 
Because <laughs> it's what it should be. Were, were you actually in the the rehearsal clip earlier in the day? I was in. I, I went to a I went to a preview a couple of nights before, and then on the night I was in the stadium. I was interviewing people in the infield, and I'd done quite a few interviews. Actually, one of the suffragettes was a descendant of of, of the Pankhursts, and I she's called Helen, and I interviewed her, um, and I'd interviewed a few of the kids that were then bouncing on the beds in the NHS scene. So I'd really seen it from the inside. I mean, I walked under the underbelly of the stadium and was right in there. But because I was doing swimming the next morning and having to get up at 5.30, I left before the athletes' procession. I interviewed a couple on the way out. I think I did anyway, because it was a very long wait. Um, And then I went back to a hotel in East London and took the central line in the next morning to just, go do swimming. Just interested, though, when, when you say you, you saw a preview a couple of nights earlier, I mean, what, what, what did that entail? How, how did they preview it? Was it was pretty much all of it, um, apart from certainly not Bradley Wiggins ringing the bell, um, and we didn't know who that was going to be. And it kept putting up the hashtag, keep the, I think, keep the secret or save the secret. Say, Sa- save the secret, yeah. I remember. And, um, I think something like that, yeah. yeah. So we, and, and quite a lot of the filmed sections weren't there, so I don't think we saw the Daniel Craig and the Queen um, but yeah essentially it was the choreography of it and the music which all you know soon as as soon as that started you just thought okay this is this is really good but yeah it, it, that was fun and interesting but nothing like the real thing really because Br- brilliant none of it got leaked don't you think I know brilliant. I know really good what an achievement. <laughs> well, I think that was appealing. <laughs> that was appealing to the British common sense, wasn't it? Please don't leak it. Leak it. Please don't spoil the secret. Claire, did you get a bit? Because I got a bit, you know, back in the, back at home after it was all over. A couple of the, you know, the kids in the village were like, Mark, was that was that really the Queen jumping out? <laughs> or was that an actress? You know, they were absolutely, yeah. they weren't too sure. And they really wanted to believe that the Queen had done that herself. But that was... That was probably, you know, I think that was almost the best minute. Wasn't it was it? funny. Yeah. That was just yeah. so funny. And, and, and you think this, there's yeah. real proper British physical humour to this. Um, I, I loved yeah. it. But the section, I mean, I just really, with the corgis and everything, the whole turning up at the palace. And I did, I interviewed Danny Boyle later that year and asked him about that and getting it through and sort of, you know, getting the approval. Um, and that was, it, it, it is extraordinary. I mean, because you do, you've got to, it's, it's quite a long process to get a yes um, and, and then to actually pull it off. And they did it very quickly. I mean, it wasn't a case of you couldn't do a second take. But Prince Harry sort of brokered so. the whole deal, didn't he? He went, come on, Granny, are you going to do this? Yes, yeah. he did. Yes. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. This is Sport in the Fields in association with Aldi UK, the official supermarket partner of Team GB. On the following day after the opening ceremony, it was the first full day of competition at London 2012. And when we think back to those amazing games, we think of the brilliant Team GB and the medal rush. We have to remind ourselves sometimes that actually it got off to a slow start. Yeah, wasn't it? Mark Cavendish was was. Uh, they were very hopeful of winning the the road race, and and um, that didn't quite go according to plan. And I think it, in the end, I think he might have only finished mid div. I mean, it, it kind of the tactics went out the window. So there was like a growing sense of panic <laughs> until. Um, wasn't it Heather Standing and Helen Glover won the first gold medal? I think that's right. Yeah, day yeah. day five, I think. Yeah, Oof. but Claire, um, you've been at the uh, the at uh, the pool, and I was at the pool all week, and I do remember thinking. Well, I remember. 
It's it's a weird one, Claire. I don't know what you think. I was incredibly excited to be there, but at the same time, you know, you're there to do a job and you're not a cheerleader and you've got to call it as it is and all that stuff that we know that we're taught and we're coached and we're brought up to be. But I do remember thinking after four or five days, this is going really badly. Yeah, I think in the end we won three medals. Michael Jameson, a silver, and Becky Adlington, two bronzes. And and she swam very, very well, but of course she was a double gold medalist from Beijing when she was only 19 and that had been such a highlight. And that's why... I was at the swimming because they decided, BBC television decided, because we had a high-profile swimmer all of a sudden and, you know, certainly capable of winning medals and possibly gold, they wanted a presenter, if you like, a general presenter at the swimming. So I'd been doing swimming for about three years building up to it and had got to know all the British swimmers and had done, you know, a lot of a lot of background work. So in the mornings, I would do the morning heat and in the I, I was meant to have a break in the middle of the day, but I kind of either do homework for the evening or, or go and watch something because as you know once you're in it you're in it you might as well lap it all up and I'm very much of that attitude and then come back for the evening prime time show now one thing in our favor is we are generally quite interested in competitors from other countries unlike and you will both have watched coverage in America when when we've been in America for a games it is so focused on the American athletes to the absolute exclusion of everyone else apart from possibly Usain Bolt but we're not like that you know we do have an interest in Michael Phelps or Ryan Lochte or as it turned out Chad Leclerc from from South Africa um, and we as long as we build the story the right way I think a British public are quite um, interested in, in particularly the English-speaking nations, but even those that aren't. You know, they they do hold foreign athletes quite dear to their hearts, and I think we're much more we're much broader in our outlook mm. than than a lot of host nations would be. But one of the major benefits, and I didn't realise this until I did the interview with Chad's dad, Bert, was because we were the host nation, they were all watching our coverage. And we were doing so much more than usually, you know, the host nations would in terms of the variety of sports, the number of channels, what was available and the way we covered it, that they were really keen to be on. And that, oh, my word, that makes a difference. That really, really helps. I've been at games before where you're battling to try and get competitors to come and talk to you. You're battling all the time with security because they think you're not meant to be there. And, and this was a joy in comparison. So was your interview with, with Chad's dad, was that live in South Africa at the time? I don't know about that, but it definitely, as he told me the next night when I bumped into me, we have gone viral, he said. So, <laughs> so it, you have made me famous. It was such a shock. And thanks to us being host nation and thanks to Mark Foster being such a superstar. I said to him, I think I think that might be Chad's dad. Go Go and get him. And so he went to find him and his great friend, who used to be a swimmer, who's married to Prince Albert of Monaco, who's called Charlene, she was with him and said, just be careful, don't interview him live. He, he swears a lot. <laughs> and, I did, I, and I never knew this. I didn't know this till about a year ago, Mark told me. And, and so he sent him over to, to me and luckily he'd been watching, as I say, so he kind of felt he knew me and knew us and knew it was on the BBC, but he didn't know the interview was live because halfway through he goes, are we live? But essentially all he said was unbelievable. <laughs> it was the emotion of it. it was he so said, that's lovely. my boy or something, my beautiful yeah, boy. What did he say? He said, look at the, yeah, he said, look at my boy. That's my boy, my beautiful boy. I don't, and the camera cut back to him and he goes, oh, don't look at me, I am fat. <laughs> and he was just so, he was so, I think he summed up and he conveyed the pride and the emotion and just the pure love that a parent feels when their child does something that everyone has said was impossible. Yeah. It, was te- it was on paper impossible to beat Michael Phelps. 
and Chad was swimming at his first Olympic Games. As it turns out, he's become the most successful Commonwealth Games swimmer ever. He's, he's maintained his... I mean, he trains really hard. He's such a lovely guy, and they are, they, they, they are a fabulous family, but Bert was... A superstar, and and I've spoken to him many times since. <laughs> and Claire, the, the, your your interview with Bert was the start of of your Olympics and how it how it changed your image, to be to be honest, and your your status in broadcasting in this country. Well, the weird thing is, in the in the run up to that Olympics, so in two thousand and eight, I've had a pretty high profile role in in Beijing, and certainly twenty ten Winter Olympics, I'd you know been pretty much doing the main shows, so. I had been a bit thrown in the build-up to 2012 because I wasn't going to be one of the main presenters, and I wasn't. Um, but I was really thrilled to be doing the swimming. So I, ch- I was like, OK, this is how I'm going to approach it. I am doing the sports I'm doing, which will be swimming, uh, dressage, which ended up being great, show jumping, which ended up being great, because we won a gold medal in that as well, um, open water swimming, boxing, which ended up being great, because Nicola Adams won her gold medal. I did that night, so I did the women's boxing. I didn't do any men's boxing. And various other things, you know, bits and bobs around and about. And I just thought, right, I am going to completely project the event, the athletes. This is not really, really not about me. And it never should be, but it's not a bad time. It's not bad to give yourself that chat, i.e. get over yourself. It doesn't matter that you're not the main presenter, that Gary Lineker's doing the evening show from the studio. Doesn't matter. You're at the event. Lucky you. You've got the best ticket in the house, which I did have. So that's how I approached it. And I've never felt so immersed in an event. And I have tried to take that on through, to be honest. And um, and the funny thing about that interview with Bert is, apart from getting him and saying to the editor, we really do have to take this live, which was a big chance and even bigger now, I know what I know about his language. Um, yeah. Essentially, once it started, I just held the microphone. And again, that's a... It sounds so obvious, but we all know this, that sometimes that's the biggest lesson of all. Let someone fill the gap. You don't have to talk. You don't have to. Give them the chance and let them go. Well, it's what David Frost used to do better than anybody. Look, you look at all his famous interviews, sometimes with Richard Nixon as well. You know, when he's trying to get it out of him, he would just hold the microphone there. And more often than not, somebody else will fill that vacuum and they'll fill it with something that's really significant in that case or with your friend Bert, you know, absolutely hilarious. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, yeah, absolutely. And you're, and you're right in the sense that you... You know, we all want to work on these things, but you have to remember what it's all about, and it's not about you. And there might be sometimes you'd rather be at venue A than venue B, but if you immerse yourself in the sport that you're going to, actually, you know, it, it shouldn't take you very long mm. to completely get into that. And uh, we were saying a bit earlier, Jonathan and I, in the introduction, that's that that's really exciting, and that's a brilliant challenge in and of itself for us as broadcasters and journalists. I don't know anything about this sport, but I'm going to make sure by the end of the day I know everything about this sport because I owe it to the viewers and the listeners to 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 bring them the most um, interesting and, and educative angle on it that there is because they're going to become experts the next two or three days as well and and those of us who know you claire know that uh, you would much rather hop on the tube than uh, than hire hire a, a chauffeur driven limousine for the day so at that phase when it was really oh, kicking know. off london 2012 um, yeah, i know you, you don't say no if it rocks up outside your door exactly. I, I i know but you mentioned earlier that you know you were on the central line to mm. the swimming you know the the day after the opening ceremony you know as you as you started doing more sports and obviously getting more airtime and getting more more connected almost with, with the games. What, what were you hearing from people? What sort of s- stories were you uh, hearing from other people who presumably were coming up to you all the time? 
I, I think people just really wanted to know more. They wanted to know, you know, so so tell me more about that race or that event or, or what was happening behind the scenes or where, you know, where next? And and when I got to Greenwich, when I got to, you know, my sort of homeland um, into the equestrian events, that that was like walking into family. I mean, that, that felt so... And I do remember one night, so the... <laughs> Uh, when when the British team won the gold medal in show jumping, they the BBC were doing this. Uh, Gabby Logan presented the evening program around about ten o'clock at night, and they wanted a live link with the show jumping team, and we couldn't do it from the venue because the venue would have shut down by then, and you know security wouldn't let us. So we got this top floor of a pub in Greenwich Village, and um, I had to. They had a very tough ex-army chef to keep who wouldn't let the team do anything because there was still the individual event to come. And Ben Mayer had gone back to his hotel and Nick Skelton was just, you know, overcome with with emotion at having finally won a gold medal at the Olympics. And I, I managed to, I rang Ben direct and essentially I sent a message to Seb Coe and said, that just sounds so grand, but basically I knew he was really into his question events. And I said, look, I'm having a bit of an issue here. Can, can I say that you would love to see the team on on? TV. Now, I can't remember whether he even replied to that, but I certainly told the chef to keep that he had. And I said, look, I, I think this would be very disappointing if we can't get the team here. He didn't want them in a pub. Um, and and right. the awful thing is, when the interview went out, and it was live, I don't think Nick Skelton had had more than one glass of champagne, and Scott Brash had had one glass of champagne, but Scott doesn't drink, and Nick hadn't drunk for ages, so this had quite a bad effect. <laughs> and they certainly looked like they'd been drinking and they sounded like they'd been drinking, even though I was with them and I know they hadn't really. But it was very, very funny. So there were all sorts of things you were kind of, you know, you're trying to use, the, the, and you know, you both know what this is like. You're pulling every string you can to make happen what your bosses want to happen. And they don't realise how difficult this is to pull off. But you're trying to do it for the best reasons, which you want this sport to get more coverage. So I do remember that and sort of slightly, you know, playing on, we're getting record viewing figures and everybody's loving the games and this is so important and we haven't won a show jumping gold medal for 60 years or whatever it was, you know, and really playing the cards. <laughs> and then uh, I, I, when you do that as well, at the end of the day, you go home and have a shower. I think, I need to have a shower because I need to wash away all these appalling lies yeah. I've been telling to try and get <laughs> these people <laughs> on air because really I've actually slightly shamed myself. But anyway, it worked, but you go, but it worked. So that's great. And Lord Coe's just texted yeah. to say he loved it. Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. so go. All good. <laughs> Look, just before we we've talked a lot about 2012, I wanted to, to wind the clock right back though, Claire, because didn't didn't you go to Atlanta ninety six in, in yeah. what, what must yeah. have been very close to the start of your yes. your radio career? Yes, and and that what do you remember that, from that? Oh God, I remember so much. I was out in Conyers doing the equestrian events, and that that is you know that was fine, and I knew pretty much everybody but also the mountain biking happened there and came through the horse park so they said to me well you you report on the mountain bike and I was like I don't know anything about mountain bike I mean who does so I I did these constant reports all through the all through the night UK time about this weird cross-country mountain bike race and I stood myself next to the British coach and he told me everything and that was a really good lesson in how to do sports that you don't know anything about I also did the modern pentathlon or the, or the climax of it and managed to get an interview with Bo Derrick and that that was my sort of that was my winning that was my first you know celeb pull on five live she 
got Bo Derek, and wasn't Bo Derek good? <laughs> so that was um, that was quite fun. I do remember all of that, and I just what loved did Bo it. Derek know about modern pentathlon? Oh, she's really into her horses, and um, yeah, she, she was there for the show jumping. Oh, is she? Yeah, yeah. Mm. She's been actually. I, I've met her a few times since on the racing scene in America. She's been um, no, she's she's quite into all of that. I, I mean, I can't pretend we're friends, obviously. But <laughs> <laughs> what was it like, Atlanta, at '96? Because there were really great Olympic Games before it and after it. Um, so comparatively, mm. people tend to do it down sometimes. How did you find it? Well, I, it was my first Olympics, so I thought it was fantastic. And everybody kept saying, oh, you should have been in Barcelona. You know, that, that was going on a lot. And was, oh, well, I wasn't in Barcelona. And, and uh, I, I didn't remember an awful lot about Barcelona because I think I was travelling at the time. And, and so I thought Atlanta was great. I couldn't believe... I was at an Olympic Games and I was with, you, you know, all our, our, you know, Marcus Buckland was part of it. I mean, there was a really good team of, of reporters. Matthew Allen was one of our main producers and, and he's great fun to be around. So there was a really good network of, of very accomplished, I mean, Marcus, I'm flattering him, but, you know, very accomplished <laughs> radio broadcasters, John Champion and Peter Drury. I mean, you know, really, really good people doing things you wouldn't necessarily always hear them do, but doing them so well. And I, I think I learned a lot on that. And then by the time we got to Sydney, I was doing half radio, half telly. Um, and that was that was fun. Um, I, I just loved it. I, and, and that was the moment in my head I knew that I didn't and there was a chance at that stage to have become a dedicated racing presenter on a new channel that was starting um and I turned that down because I just said you'll you'll never be able to send me to the Olympics and I remember this guy who was quite senior saying to me this is the biggest mistake of your life but don't worry we'll make a star of someone else (gasps) and I said okay I I just thought well but but as a as a racing person Claire I mean that must have been quite a big mm. deal or quite a big thing for you to, to have to turn down at the time well and at the time it was a lot of money and compared to what I was being paid by the BBC it was significantly more and and it you know and I was very young and I just moved to London and it would have been financial security all those things but such was the lure of the Olympics and mm. then by 2000 I was also working on the Paralympics I, I just thought, no, this is this is me. I, I love this multi-sport. I love every day being different. I love the long days. I like the challenge of it. I just love this environment. And of course I love racing and I, and I will always love racing. But it, I wanted to be, um, I sort of wanted to be my own person. I wanted to know that I could broadcast, not just that I could do mm-hmm. it in, in the environment where, where I had obvious advantages from, from knowing people. Well, we're so pleased you did, um, because we've been able not only to enjoy you on our screens and radios over the years at Olympic Games, but we've enjoyed being your colleague as well. So, uh, uh, and that may not have happened if you if we lost you to the uh, your your natural world of racing right at the, right at the start. Thank Claire. It's been an absolute pleasure to uh, to hear all your stories, and thanks for coming on. Well, thank you so much. Lovely to talk to both of you. Good to catch up, Claire. See you soon. So there we go, Claire Balding. Great to have her on the first episode of the pod. Uh, most unexpected, though, she should give a shout out to our colleague Matthew Allen, uh, <laughs> who will be most surprised that he's got a mention on the air. He's one of those behind the scenes guys. Um, but I, I, you know, I think I think this should become a regular feature, don't you, Mark? Um, in, in the same way that Kermode and Mayo give a, a, a weekly shout out yeah. to Jason Isaacs. This is this is our Matthew Allen. Uh, hello, because we do all the fun stuff, which is you know the talking and the watching, but it doesn't work without people behind the scenes, you know, making it all happen and telling you where to go and saying oh for goodness sake Pugach do some prep what do you mean you're on the golf course I said well that's where I do my prep that doesn't really count and 
And you know, these are the people who make it all work behind the scenes and who, frankly, you know, you'd, you'd go over the top with a, with a bayonet for these people because yeah. they've been such great friends and great colleagues to work with over the years and, have, and knit it all together and make sure that, um, that, if possible, people at home can't see the joins. And as you can probably gather, as well as being a good producer, he also organises quite a good night out at the oh, end of very a day's good work, night out. which is why Absolutely. there's a lot of love. So, so hello, Matthew Allen. This is our, this is our Jason Isaacs little bit. And I think, actually, when we do this, job it's it's it, it is a very sociable and very gregarious job you don't have to be that way of course but you know it, it does it does help um and, and i know with you and claire and all of us we get a lot of people saying to us you know can you speak to my 21 year old son or daughter they really want to get into your business i say apps always try to say yes and they say what is the most important thing about your job and the answer always takes them by surprise i say stamina <laughs> and they go what i go well you can be the best broadcaster in the world or the best cameraman in the world or the best writer in the world but when you're at olympic games particularly you've got to work every day for 18 days you're no good to anybody if on day three you go I'm a bit tired i can't make it today mm. you need to be able to get the trip you need to be a good racehorse who can get the trip and make sure and the way to get the trip is to work hard but to have a lot of fun off the pitch as well with great people but to be able to be able to go again in the morning we go again as they say in football huddles you know go again in the morning and we'll go again on this series yeah. uh, for episode two which is going to uh, involve Olympic bronze medalist Kath Merry recalling Kathy Freeman night which Mark was talking about at Sydney 2000 a little earlier but just on that racing thing right at the end there Pugas what a, what a, what a relief we didn't lose Claire to, to the racing channel or, or whoever it was and, back and, in the but- day eh? What she said chimed with me because I had a couple of opportunities around here in football, which would have been meant that I would have basically just done football. I had a, I had a quite a similar sort of conversation. And I remember thinking, I don't want to just watch football. I mean, much as I love it, there are so many other things I want to do, you know, a chief amongst them, Olympic Games, mm. Commonwealth Games, Ryder Cup, Cricket World Cup, Rugby World Cup. I don't want to miss out on those opportunities as well because... Because I have, like Claire, such a broad interest in so many different sports, I didn't want to narrow down my no. options. So, so what she said there, actually, it really chimed with me. That's something that happened with me at a really similar stage of my career. Yeah, and, and me too in, in tennis. You know, you kind of yeah. get known, don't you? When you take on a speciality, you get known for that particular yeah. sport. But I always thought, oh, ten, 10 years, that's, that's quite enough. It's stealing a living anyway. And, uh, you know, if you do it for more than 10 years, you're kind of denying someone else the opportunity to travel the world and yeah. see it. So that was, uh, that was perfect time for me. Um, Pugas, it's been great to have you with us. Uh, we'll hear from you again, Pleasure. no doubt, later in the series when we'll have someone uh, someone equally uh, stimulating to talk to, I'm sure. Uh, in the meantime, uh, thanks for your company. Don't forget to subscribe and download all the episodes in the series. You're going to get a new one coming every day throughout what would have been Tokyo 2020. Magic. Thanks, Pugas. Great underdog. Tom. Yeah, you, you dash. Sport in the Fields is a 9419 independent production. In association with Aldi UK, the official supermarket partner of Team GB.